Hi, everybody. My name is Ben Pierce, and I'm small groups pastor here, and I'm bringing my friend Becky Miller up to share her story. We're learning from Moses. We're learning from all these people, these ordinary folks that God used extraordinarily. And when I got to know Becky and hear her story, it hit some of those same chords in my heart, and I wanted to have her share with you today. Thank you. It brings me great joy to share my story because I get to brag on God because my story is really his story because it tells of his encounter with me, an ordinary person, his power working in me and through me in the most significant journey of my life. His pursuit of me was so full of mercy I had experienced two major life-changing events which deeply impacted my relationship with God. My older son was killed in an automobile accident, and after 26 years of marriage, I was getting a divorce, and I fell away from God. I stopped going to church, I stopped praying, and it wasn't that I was angry with him. I just thought, well, it's just going to be all about me now. I'm just going to live my life. I deserve to be happy. And uh, God began to pursue me in the spring of 2006. Well, actually, in 2004, God just called me back to church. And I went to a church first time on my birthday in 2004, and I knew that God was wooing me back. After two years, I was sitting in that church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's where you're hearing the accent. I knew you noticed. (laughs) And um, on the back of the bulletin was this colorful message. It was an announcement saying that there would be a uh, spring mission trip to Uganda, and they were urging people to go. I had been in the church all my life, except for those wandering years, but I'd never been on a mission trip, not Mexico, Honduras, Florida, nowhere, not downtown. I had not been anywhere, but I decided to go to Africa. I had no idea what to expect. We were a very small group. There were only four of us. We'd be working with a missionary couple from Texas, so I understood their language, and um, we got to stay in the house with them. They had a lovely Baptist compound, and there was a large house, and there was a guest cottage. And I stayed in the house and got to observe missionary life up close, not realizing that later on, all of the little things I was seeing would be important to me. The first morning, we went out into the village where we would be meeting people and helping him to gather a group for church planting. And there was a group there, and the pastor said, I want you all to just share your testimony to these people. And they were all looking at us, you know, staring at the Americans. And he said, when he introduced us, he said, these people have come from far away. They have come from America to Uganda because they are serious followers of Jesus Christ. And that's when Jesus intercepted my life. I felt unworthy to be called a serious follower of Jesus Christ. If you had asked me what label I would have been comfortable with, I probably would have said Christian, Baptist, churchgoer, believer. But I would have never uh, called myself a serious follower of Jesus. 
The greatest takeaway for me on that particular trip was that I returned to the States with a hunger for a real experiential relationship with Jesus. The following year, the church was going back to Uganda. So this time I was going back and invited my best friend, Stella, to go with me. That trip, we would be meeting people, relating with them, telling Bible stories. You see on the screen, this is the sheet of paper that the missionary gave us that we were going to hand out to the people, the uneducated people in the village. It had crudely drawn stick figures and words in English, which they couldn't read, but they loved that piece of paper. And I loved being there and teaching them and talking to them. That trip marked my life for the next 10 years. My spirit was awakened with a desire to teach the Ugandans, to train them, to disciple them, and to provide a better resource for learning about God to them. But there was an even greater life-changing awakening for me as a result of that trip. I determined that I was going to live my life to be comfortable being called a serious follower of Jesus. When Stella and I returned from the mission trip, we thought, who's taking care of our group? Who's meeting with them? Who's discipling them, answering their questions? We said, we need to go out and get some resource books for them. So we headed down to the Christian bookstore and began to look at what was available. Have you looked yet? Oh, I hear some of you chuckling. That's right. Stories that would be appropriate, children's illustrated books, were rather animated, cartoonish, and definitely all white. We thought, you know what? We're not sending these. But at that moment, God planted a seed, and he revealed his plan. Why don't you write your own books and have them illustrated in Uganda? We're like, oh my gosh, can we do that? I mean, who are we? We're two realtors, and uh, we sell houses. But we got excited, and we sat down, and we said, okay, what would they be? And these were the four tenets that we came up with. First, the illustrations would be contextualized for Africans. All the people, the landscape, uh, everything. The animals would be reflecting their culture. Second, we were going to begin at the beginning, creation. We would have a 12-book series called Creation to Christ. Third, most important, we wanted the books to have a theme that ran through them that would move people from religion into understanding what it looked like to have a relationship with Jesus and with God that they could reflect in their community, a relationship where they talked to God, they walked with him, they listened to him, and they obeyed him. And fourth, the stories would be taken right out of the Bible, simply paraphrased, non-denominational. A few months later, we formed a small um, charity organization so we could raise money scared to death where the money was going to come from. And we had traveled over in uh, January of 2008 to meet the artist that God had chosen. And that's a story for another day. That artist went on to paint 165 original watercolors for our work. And I remember sitting in his little apartment thinking, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for this? It was going to be $100 per picture. And then we had to have them printed. And 
Someone said to me, you know what? If God wants us to do one book, we'll do one book. If he wants us to do two, we'll do two. Another big thing I learned when I was in Uganda that this was really a hard project to coordinate with a third world country long distance. So when I was there in June with Stella and two of my sisters, I noticed that the missionary compound was vacant. The missionaries had left the field, gone back to Texas. Again, another thought hey, wonder if I could live over here, you know, work on the books, get them uh, finished more quickly. And my sisters and my friend turned in unison and said, by yourself? Absolutely not. But I knew it was God's plan, so I decided to talk to him about it. And I went back and I said, Lord, this is all I've got. I'm willing and I'm available. And at some point over those years, those couple of years, six months, I don't even know the date. I got down on my face, not my knees, my face in my room and said, Lord, just like the song said, it's all yours. I surrender everything. I left my job. I left my house with all my belongings in it and someone moved into it and I never returned there. I lived in Uganda. It took years to finish those books on site. I think now with some reprints, we've probably printed more than 18,000 books. We've taught, we've traveled. As soon as we'd get one hot off the press, we'd start traveling with it. North Uganda, Eastern Uganda, Western Uganda. We taught in orphanages, villages, schools. I even had an opportunity to teach seminary pastors um, from five different nations in East Africa. Listen, I never intended to be a missionary, and I don't call myself that now. My goal was just to move over there and help facilitate the uh, development of those books. I never expected to live in Uganda as long as I did, and I certainly didn't expect that 10 years later, that ministry would still be thriving, continuing, and growing. We now, we've run an orphanage for a while. We've partnered to open a, a medical center in southern Uganda. Now, here's what I want to tell you about being ordinary. My credentials would have never gotten me called back for a second interview with any mission board. I was 56 years old, divorced, untrained, inexperienced, and I wanted to bring my own agenda on the field. I was moving to a third world country with no in-country support group. No other white person, no other American in that town. And most mission groups would have considered me unprepared and at risk. But you know what? God equipped me. All I had to do, I was just willing. I was able. And he provided and continues to provide every other thing and every person to have that mission done. Thank you for letting me share how God did it for me. So Gary, you can uh, come on up. And Becky, thank you so much for letting us see what it looks like. And also, so these folks won't get culture shock when they get to heaven and everybody talks like us. So. <laughs> And I thought the language of heaven was going to be Italian. <laughs> amazing. Becky, thank you. Can we just thank God and thank Becky? That's amazing. Wow. 
And what a great segue into our message. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. Becky would be the first to want you to know this is not about her. She said, I am the most unqualified person to be using this. But behind her is the almighty, almighty God making her strong for the task. You know, many times when God calls us into something, the first thing we do is look at ourselves and forget that who's calling us. And we go, I don't have what it takes. How many feel like you don't have what it takes? You qualify to be used by God. And that's the story of Moses, what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 3. I'd love everyone to grab a Bible. There's pew Bibles in the front of you. Turn on your phones. Exodus chapter 3. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. I think you're gonna relate to this part of Moses' life. He's 80 years old at this point. Uh, He's lived 1,460 days in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. He was raised as the prince of Egypt. And by the way, I need to remind you, even as I say that, this is history we're reading. Okay, although Moses has been portrayed on some great screens, I think I have a picture of uh, all the actors that have played Moses in the major films from 1929 all the way to Christian Bale. Look at that, Batman is Moses, everybody. Um, We're reading history here. And we're stepping into the story when Moses is 80 years old. While he was the prince of Egypt for his first 40 years, he crossed the line and murdered an Egyptian and ran for his life. And so for 40 years, I believe, well, I know he's lived in the desert, but I believe that act uh, has played through his mind for 40 years while he's been in the middle of nowhere. There couldn't be a greater juxtaposition between the Pharaoh's palace and where we see him today, the desert of Midian. He's working for his father-in-law. He's working in a, the worst job of the day, really, a shepherd, low life. And it's just him and the sheep for 40 years. But on that ordinary day, God shows up. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. This could be your ordinary day. My hope is that you really believe God isn't finished with you yet. Oh, I want you to believe that so much. Let's pray. Lord, as we dig into your word now, would you please guide us? Would you please speak to us? Would you please emerge? Jesus, I know you're going to emerge through the passage of Exodus 3 and give us strength. Take our eyes off us. As we were led in worship this morning, you and you alone. May that be the moniker of our life. Thank you for reminding us through Becky pray these things in Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. So Moses discovers strength as he encounters God. Open to page two of your notes and let's look at the God he encounters. Really the most important question you could ever ask yourself is this. I mean this, the most important question. Stack them all up. Here's number one. Um, Who is the God you believe in? Because you make a decision every day based on the answer to that question. Atheists to uh, serious followers of Jesus, is that the term, Becky? Uh, All answer that question and we act on that question. Who is the God you believe in? Uh, Let's look at the God that showed up to Moses and wants to show up for you and me even today, okay? What did Moses discover in God? He discovered he's the God of perfect timing. 
the God of perfect timing, who works in the ordinary. Look at verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock, literally in the Hebrew, this, this was written in Hebrew, it says, Moses was watching and watching and watching and watching the sheep. It's building out the fact that it was just a long trudge through the desert. 1,400, I'm sorry, 14,600 days again and again and again. That's what it wants to build out here. That's what we're stepping into in the story. He's 80 years old. He's leather skinned from all the sun. While Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, it wasn't even his flock, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It was just an ordinary day. God always shows up most of the time. I'm sorry, I just, I just contradicted myself. Most of the time, God shows up without warning and works great in ordinary days. Let me ask you this question. Everyone look right here. What was your expectation waking up this morning for your day ahead? What was your expectation in coming and gathering to worship with the church today? Was there an expectation of an extraordinary experience? of an encounter with the supernatural. I want you to know that God doesn't just show up in special places at special times. God shows up in the ordinary, but he doesn't forecast it. He doesn't forecast it. I look at my life and I think, gosh, it was an ordinary day in October of 1982. I woke up that day, you know, going to, I was gonna go to a fraternity party. I went to bed that night I was transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I had become a whole new person in that day, just an ordinary day. It was the day I received Christ. But I had no idea when I woke up that my whole eternal destiny, all my values were going to be turned up on end, that Jesus was going to meet me that day. I had no idea. It was just an ordinary day. I was just an ordinary day when I was mountain biking in Marin and I was working in a parachurch ministry and I was mountain biking with a guy and we had crested over the Marin headlands overlooking the city and he turned to me and he said, pray for me, man. I said, pray for you? He worked in the financial district and he said, it's so hard being a follower of Christ out there. And in that moment, there was something in me that said, you give your life to serving my church and serving men and women like this. It was my call to church ministry. But I had no idea waking up that morning, I thought I was just going on a mountain bike ride. But in that ordinary experience, God met me. It was an ordinary May day when I knocked on a door in Novato to have dinner with a family that was supporting me with Campus Crusade for Christ. And who opened the door? But my wife. Although I didn't know, she didn't know me at that point, I didn't know her. But it was an ordinary day and little did I know that door opening on that day would change me forever, 26 and a half years later with five kids. It was an ordinary day when PCC called me in the winter. It was an ordinary day when I walked through a village in Bokonto and met my fifth daughter in Africa. See, God didn't forecast that. God didn't wake me up in the morning and say, get ready, I am gonna change your life forever. Because most of us would hightail and run. Do you believe in a God of perfect timing who works in the ordinary? I hope so. Moses encountered that God. And he encountered a God whose grace was bigger than his sin. 
and who was never finished using him. Then, secondly, look at this. He believed and encountered, because it takes someone strong to make someone strong, the God of burning bushes. The God of burning bushes. This is awesome. There, the angel of the Lord, circle that word in your Bible, or in the Pew Bible. Circle that word. Uh, We'll come back to it in about 10 minutes, okay? But very important. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within the bush. Do you understand what's going on? Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It didn't burn up. I am a pathetic fire guy. Uh, We had this wood burning... um, uh, we have a fire pit in our backyard, and my wife was really clear, don't, no gas fire pit. I want real wood to burn. I know that's not PC around here, uh, but don't tell anybody, okay? You can cut that out of the tape when we, or the podcast. Anyway, I, I have, I, here's my secret ingredient, gasoline. I just put the wood, the gasoline, light the match, and it just, it just burns. It's really good. Now, here's what I've learned. No fuel, no fire. Right? That's, that's like 101 kind of stuff. You don't have something for the fire to burn, it doesn't burn. Now, let's just dig in a little bit deeper. This is a thorny bush. That's what the Hebrew means. It's literally just this scrawny bush. Nothing extraordinary about the bush. Not even that the bush is on fire. In Moses, 14,600 days, lightning would strike a bush, bushes would catch on fire. Probably saw hundreds of them. What was extraordinary is the fire didn't burn out. It continued to go. It was a self-contained fire without any external force giving it fuel. You starting to get a glimpse of what's going on here? All-powerful fire, completely self-contained within itself? Verse 3, so Moses thought, hmm, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? See, this is God's way. He, he's the God of burning bushes. The bush wasn't strange. The fire was. The fire didn't go out. In ordinary, everyday circumstances of our lives, God burns a bush. God allows something to get your attention. The world will call that, you ready, coincidence. The Bible calls it Providence. See, the God of the Bible is all-knowing. He knows things, everything actual and everything probable. And he's aware of your whole life from beginning to end. He sees it all at once. And so God creates divine appointments throughout our lives that the world would call coincidence, but God would call providence to work in your heart. It was providential that Becky would go to Uganda and have her heart awaken like that. Look at the difference of that. Back in 1997, when I was called here to be the youth pastor, um, I was part of a team that put on our denomination's national high school conference. And at that point, it was in Fort Collins, Colorado. 4,000 kids were coming to Fort Collins, Colorado to worship Jesus and learn about Jesus and uh, have him touch him. It's an amazing conference. Um, We worked two years on this conference. And in 1997, we were ready. We flew out, and the week before, torrential rains came to Fort Collins. And the day before 4,000 people, kids, were going to converge in Fort Collins, the um, university, uh, CSU, Colorado State University officials, came to us as a steering committee and said, we get four more inches of rain, this conference is canceled. This campus has flooded so much. We've already lost two dorms. You've got to displace. We've got 1,000 students displaced. A quarter of the conference displaced. 
the day of the conference. So we put out a prayer bulletin, I pray, uh, and the denomination's praying and the rain stop and the kids come. We had called hotels, we had kids sleeping in ballrooms, it just, it broke every student ministry rule, don't tell anybody. And, um, but here's what happened in the Holiday Inn ballroom. Uh, there was like a hundred kids sleeping in the ballroom in the Holiday Inn and a, and a hotel worker kept looking at this. And he couldn't believe, it was the aroma of Christ, he couldn't clarify that, but he was sniffing it out. And he's going, wow, this smells good. And so he, he finally broke in and he said, I don't get it. Like the Tuesday of the conference, third day. He goes, they go, what? He goes, I don't get it. You guys paid good money. You didn't get your dorm. You're sleeping on the floor. And I don't hear anyone complaining. You guys are having a good time as teenagers. He goes, what's the secret? And this one teenager takes a risk and says, it's Jesus. We're all followers of Jesus. His head goes down and he says, oh, oh. I, I, that, um, and he just shared his story of his struggle with alcohol and he, how he felt because of his bad relationship with alcohol, he d- was disqualified from becoming a follower of Christ. Now, in that group, that very group, was a girl from Minnesota who was going to be a senior, who in her freshman year was an alcoholic who God had met in her recovery, she gave her life to Christ, got involved in the youth group in Minnesota, signed up for Chick, and was in that very group on that very night when the hotel worker who is struggling with alcohol gives his story and says, I don't qualify. And guess what she did? She said, yes, you do. I was right where you were three years ago. And Jesus met me and I'm a new person. His head came up. And that started a conversation that involved her youth pastor throughout the rest of the week. By the end of the week, that hotel worker gives his life to Jesus Christ. Now, let's just track this from God's perspective. He's looking at the world. He's going, I love all this creation, all these image bearers. And he says, ah, Fort Collins. Ah, look at my creation ruining his life. It's broken through alcohol. Ah, Oh, how do I get him to know me? Oh, I get it. I will share the gospel with him. Who can do this? And then he says, oh, over here in Minnesota, here's this girl whose life has been changed through Jesus Christ, even though she had an alcoholic background. I'll get her and I'll put it on her heart to sign up for Chick. She does. Great, she's coming to Chick. Oh, no, she's going to the dorms. How do I get her to the Holiday Inn? I'll flood the campus. I don't know if it worked like that. But here's what I know. That was not a coincidence that that girl was in that ballroom at that moment, having her background and the boldness to share the gospel with that guy. Providence. And it's not a coincidence that you're here today listening to this message. And it's not a coincidence when you leave here that you'll encounter every other person you encounter. There's nothing coincidental in the Christian life. Nothing. God is providential. He knows things actual and probable. What I'm not saying is that every coincidence is God's burning bush in your life. What I am saying is God often uses circumstances to tap you on the shoulder and get your attention. That's the story of Becky. That could be the story of you. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. The God Moses encountered was the God of perfect timing who works in the ordinary. He was the God of burning bushes who's providential. And here's what gets really, really good. He's the God who comes near. Look at verse four. Look at this. 
Verse 4. Are you there? When, circle that word in your Bible. Um, You can tell who likes to write in their Bibles. Uh, When, uh, the word means at the same time. Very important. When did God speak to Moses? At the same moment when he turned aside. Do you understand what's going on in this story? We're only three verses deep, right? Moses is going on his way like we do. Probably, you know, even though he has sheep, more busy than usual. But only when he turned aside did God speak to him. I wish I could just sit down right now and share my heart with you and stop time. Uh, I'm concerned that too many followers of Christ live under a God who's mute, who doesn't speak. Not because he doesn't speak, but because we live our lives so busy, we don't stop to hear his voice. I don't know all of you. I know most of your heart. You'd give anything to hear from God. Everyone look right here. You can. He's still speaking all the time. We just have to turn aside to hear his voice. We were driving back from, um, we were in Monterey yesterday and driving back a day trip and um, uh, we had these excavation questions in our home where we just excavate our lives and the question came out, what is the one habit in your life that has had the biggest payoff in your life? And our family all answers that and then my girls, they just knew, they said, oh dad, we know what yours is. It's my 1% habit. Back after that October day when I was a freshman in college when Christ stepped into my life, the man who poured into my life challenged me to give my first 1% of my day, 14 minutes to the Lord, to open my Bible as quick as I can in the morning and say, God, speak to me. That has paid, my whole life has changed because of that 1% habit. God can speak to you every day when you stop to listen. How often are you stepping aside throughout your day. It doesn't have to be like Moses or 14 minutes even. It's just slowing down to the voice of God. So when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. How many were here last week? All right, there it is, Hanani, here I am. Uh, The word means no conditions. It's only used eight times in the Old Testament by four different characters. And it's the call, the answer to the call, which says, whatever you're going to ask, yes. Here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. Verse 6, are you there? Then, circle that word, now draw a line between when and then. Okay? So you see when in verse 4? Then in verse 6, what I am proposing to you is they are connected. There is a correlation there. It's only when Moses stopped in his tract, then God reveals himself. There's a cause-effect relationship between Moses' when and God's then. Most of us want the then, we just don't want to invest the when. We would love for a then, Who wouldn't love, well, maybe you don't, but who wouldn't love for God to speak to them? There is an amazing correlation between God's then and Moses' when, between God speaking and your stopping and pausing. That's why you come here. I I mean, I applaud you. I'm preaching to the choir. You've stopped your week 
on the first day of your week. You've turned aside to hear from God. Your Bibles are open. We've worshiped God through his character. We've heard a story of God using an amazing woman. All those are when parts of our life. I believe God has already been speaking throughout this whole gathering. Doesn't just speak when I come up. Way to go. How good is this? But it doesn't need to be held just one hour a week. You can have this throughout your whole week. So important, men and women. Look what he says. I'm the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You may look at that and go, oh, he's given the all-star team. No, he's given the blow-it team. Each one of us, this is us, right? Each one of them has a major sin in their life. Multiple sins. God says, I'm the God of men who failed. I'm the God of men who failed. I'm the God of men who failed. I'm about to ask something really big of you. And you're going to do what every human does when I ask something really big of them. They look at themselves and they think I'm disqualified. So let me just tell you, Moses, who am I? I'm the God of Abraham, even though he thought he was disqualified. I'm the God of Jacob, even though he thought he was disqualified. I'm the God of Isaac, even though he thought he was disqualified. You just said Hineni. So whatever I'm going to ask you, don't look at yourself. Keep focused on me, Moses, right here, right here. That's what he means by that. You know, when God calls you to something small or big, we always do this. I, I get really nervous in hospitals. I had a very traumatic experience my second grade. My tonsils were taken out, and I won't, I won't tell you my whole story, but it, it, it was traumatic for me as a second grader. Every hospital visit, I sit outside the hospital sweating, even to this day. I say, God, please. I need your strength. And I'm always tending to look at myself, and God reminds me, oh, oh, God has a great sense of humor. So this is about you right now, is it? No, 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 Gary, this is about me. I will give you the strength. I've never left a hospital. I'm in it multiple times a week. I've never left a hospital paying a visit where I've said, oh, my gosh, it has blown me away. There's holy, holy experiences that I get to enter into. It's not about you. It takes someone strong to make someone strong. Quit making it about us. That's what God's saying here. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I'm sure he was. Because Moses knew that no one could look at God and live. Let me just say it again. No one could look at God and live. So he hides his face. He's going, oh my gosh, I'm so unworthy. I'm so thorny, bushy, if you will. The true mystery of this story, men and women, is not, why did the bush not get consumed? Do I have everyone's attention? You know what the true mystery is? Why didn't Moses get consumed? He's in the presence of the almighty God, and he's not ignited and consumed. You look in the rest of the Bible, every time a human being tries to encounter God, they're flat on their face, trembling in fear, or even in Moses' life, in chapter 33 of Exodus, chapter 33, he wanted to see God face to face again, and God said, you can't. You will die. So I'm gonna put you in a rock, and I'll pass by your back. That's all you can take. How is it, this is really good, that Moses was not consumed in the presence of God? 
It's who was in the fire. Let's go back now. Remember verse 2? The angel of the Lord. Look in your Bibles. Remember that? Verse 2. See the angel of the Lord, verse 2? Are you looking there? Okay, do I have you? I know it's hot. I, I've got six more minutes, so just stick with me. I'm hot too. Look at verse 6. Who is speaking there in verse 6? God, I'll just give the answer because I don't have time to wait for you. God, <laughs> who was it in the fire? The angel of the Lord or God? The answer, yes. This is one of the many times, in the, well, many, I have about 15 documented if you want to get the other verses. Uh, in the Old Testament where God sends in order to bring his presence near to somebody because he can't come himself, we'd be consumed as human beings. He sends the angel of the Lord. Think, uh, anyone ever see Undercover Boss, the TV show? Yeah, this is the original Undercover Boss, okay? <laughs> there are other angels in the Bible. Can someone give me a name of an angel in the Bible? Michael, Gabriel, right. They're the two top famous ones. But they all speak for God, thus saith the Lord. However, when the angel of the Lord speaks, it's the Lord speaking. And what commentators have shown is that there's, a, and this is so mystery, because the angel of the Lord seems to be a figure that's different from the Lord, but is the Lord. You're tracking with me. Can anyone else think of somebody who came to earth who was separate from God, but spoke as God. Come on, give me his name. Yes, Jesus. I love you guys. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God brings his presence near, uh, time and time again, about 15 times, brings his presence near to bless. You know how he does it? Through this figure, the angel of the Lord. Uh, This is Jesus himself. This is one of the times the theologians called a theophany when God came to earth before he came as a baby through Jesus. So how can Moses relate to God here, but in Exodus 33, not see God and not be able to experience God there? What's the difference? The angel of the Lord, Jesus. This is where I get really excited, even though I'm hot and it's late in the day. Because it's through Jesus is the only way. That's our story as, as followers of Christ. It's through Jesus. It's the only way we can experience God and have him speak to us and not be consumed by him. He's the mediator. He was a mediator in the bush and he's the mediator today. I have a great passage for you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, it, this is free of charge. This is bonus material, everybody. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. I just do that to shake it up a little bit, keep you on your toes. First Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Bro, I expect that out of you. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, I'm going to do this again. Here's, here's a sad thing. 855? I read that passage, 855. That's our more traditional service. They're amazing people. Man, they gave an amen that blew my hair off. I had a full head of hair this morning. (laughs) Let's not let it be said the 855 beat the 11 in their amen. Okay? So I'm going to say this again, and I want to hear an amen. Are we good? Okay. There is one God, 1 Timothy 2.5, and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus. I love it. I love it. Now, oh, we've got clapping. Yes, good. Here's the deal. Stay with me. I'm not trying to be gimmicky. What if this week your shout of amen was the way you lived your life? 
What if this week, the thrill of the fact that we can actually come into God's presence and not be consumed because of Jesus was what motivated you when you woke up? Was what motivated you when you saw people? It's what motivated you in obedience to have a heart of gratitude, a mind of obedience, and a soul of dependence on the Lord? What if the way you loved your roommates or your siblings or your spouses wasn't motivated by you, but by the fact that we have one mediator that came to save you and give you the gift of salvation? What if that was the way we shouted amen this week? And then when we went and did our commerce throughout the city, the way we looked at baristas and people that served us, the way we looked at people on the corners of streets who were crossing the streets and prayed for them would be motivated by that same amen spirit. Jesus, thank you for coming into my life. Get them, Lord. Come into their life too. Give them that gift. Let them know you. What if the way we read to students this week, if you're involved in Revit City Reads, uh, was motivated by that amen? You get where I'm getting at here? The mystery of Exodus 3 is not, why didn't the bush burn up? The mystery is, why didn't Moses burn up? And the reality is, why won't you burn up when you die and face this God? A holy God who holds us all accountable for obeying him. Our only hope is Jesus, and that's why we amen. He offers that gift to each one of you. Don't leave today without receiving that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, by the way, there's a point four. The Holy Spirit will give that to you. Very important, but let him give that to you. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for showing up in the bush, for Moses and showing up in the thorns in our life. Thank you for the testimony of Becky and the way you use her. Now use us, Lord, in a mighty way. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.